This is a podcast from Rover. Rural Exchange with NetSpeed. Rural, urban and everywhere in between. Now I'm a farmer and I'm digging, 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 digging. G'day there everybody. How are we getting on today? Wonderful as always to have your company. Thanks to the team at NetSpeed. Speaking of uh, NetSpeed, we're going to have Stan Rivett from NetSpeed on the program a little bit later talking all things rural connectivity. And in a moment we're going to be talking a bit of weather with our good mate Philip Duncan. Plenty of things to chat about on the weather front including the similarities between New Zealand and Tasmania. Stay tuned. Philip Duncan uh, from Weather Watch. Great to talk to you again, my friend. How are you doing? What's life like for Phil at the moment? Well, it's not bad. It's um, Thank you. It's busy. Uh, we're in that spring springtime where the weather's finally coming back, and it's quite nice to be you know, busy with weather but not having it be something that's flooding farmers. Um, mm. You know... Uh, it's windy weather, and, and, and from what I gather, even though there was damage, uh, the damage was pretty limited. So that's, um, in my books, usually a pretty good one. Yeah, um, I was in central Otago over the weekend. It was a lot of rain, and uh, yes, we had a, uh, a wind-snapped tree which fell over a road blocking access. You know, high drama. Yeah, and it's a, it has been a bit of high drama. I mean, we saw the equivalent of a Category 4 cyclone wind-wise uh, down at Cape Turnagain, which is between Hawke's Bay and Cook Strait on the wider upper coastline there. And, uh, I mean, it was uh, it was averaging 189k, and it was gusting to 244. So that's a, a Category 4 um, cyclone in our part of the world. The thing is, though, we um, the difference between that and a cyclone is a cyclone would have those winds widespread, whereas this is just one gust at one extremely remote exposed location. Yeah, right. But that is, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty bloody gusty, isn't it? Jeez. Yeah, it Jeez. is. That would take your, take your toupee off, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm reading stories about it. Basically, uh, uh, you know, um, one of the strongest winds people have ever seen, etc. These these sorts of things, flights obviously cancelled and stuff like that, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, windy Wellington regional. living it up to its reputation, you know. It is, you know, Wellington and, and Christchurch both having um, very strong winds uh, at their airports. And actually today, basically, basically every airport, um, every, all the main ones around the North Island and, and some of them in the South Island are all seeing gusts around, or averaging winds, sorry, I should say, around 32 uh, k's an hour, which is about exactly half gale force, which means um, it's pretty blustery today around um, the entire country. Yeah, very, very much so. Right, so, uh, so that's that. Now... Interestingly, um, your climate watch at the start of the month, I read it at the time and thought, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll check in in a couple of weeks. Well, here we are, because you were talking about El Nino conditions growing, and we have spoken about this intermittently over time as to uh, when uh, this will actually be officially El Nino. So what, what can you tell us in terms of an update on that? Where are we right now? So basically, the last update from the Bureau of Meteorology out of Australia was last Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that the the atmosphere is getting closer and closer to being linked up. What you have to have is the the atmosphere linking up with the warmer-than-usual sea surface conditions over near South America or the Americas. And so when that happens, we end up with more high pressure over our part of the world, there's a reduction in cloud in some parts of the equator, and then there's more cloud in other areas. And when all those things line up, then they know that that's El Nino, and that's the proper pattern. 
Over the last couple of months, it has been a lot like El Nino, but not all the time. We've had these lows come in. We've had easterlies in New Zealand. Australia's had some heavy rain along the east coast. So it hasn't just been, it hasn't been operating the way it should do perfectly. It's looking more and more like that now. And so the official announcement, I'm guessing, will be next Tuesday by the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia. Um, it might be another two weeks after that if it's not next week. But I feel like, I just feel like the long range maps are looking more like it's, it's here with us. But I should just point out that the difference between it being announced and it not being announced, so the position we're in now, mm. is a little bit like driving your car at 90 k's an hour going, well, we're nearly at 100. Right, so gotcha. Like, yeah, so so we're almost there. It's it's basically very little difference now, but it's it's going to the, the El Nino element to spring makes it a little bit warmer and a little bit drier. Interesting. Yeah, um, actually, because uh, it was looking pretty dry around uh, around south, actually, uh, the parts of the south that I've been to, and uh, the rain was actually kind of welcome for a lot of people over you know the last few days. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is in the where you are in the lower South Island, uh, South Island, that's a really interesting point where sort of if you go from Southland through to Otago, there'll be a point in that area where it's perfect because uh, normally, you know, usually Southland and Otago start to really dry out going through this time of year mm. and as you go through into summer. But because of El Nino, there may be more rain coming into Southland over the months ahead. And this week is exactly like that. So you end up getting, you know, South Canterbury has a high risk of going into a drought this year because of, or at least very dry, I shouldn't say drought necessarily, but very dry. And then just down the road in Southland, you might be much wetter than average. So Southland could be that buffer zone where actually it's it's kind of um, not as bad as it could be. And you might see a little bit of that around the fringes going in between Nelson and the West Coast. And Taranaki as well can be also sometimes in that borderline where they get a little bit of the West Coast rain still, um, but Waikato is usually very dry once you get that far north. You um, posted something or put a media release out uh, a week or so ago now. might have been a bit longer, but it's really interesting. In New Zealand and Tasmania, um, and we obviously share, well, not obviously, but what you've pointed out here is Tasmania gets first what New Zealand gets later. Very good barometer of, uh, you know, weather patterns and stuff like that. Am I reading that correctly? Because I found it really interesting. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the reason why I brought it up is is some people um, go, you know, write to us on YouTube and they say, um, I don't care what's happening in Tasmania or Australia. I just want to know what's happening here. And, and my response to them is, well, just look at the forecast on your phone then. I mean, that tells you. My video is telling you what's driving that forecast on your phone yeah. or however you look at it. And, and if you look at the big picture and you zoom out and you look at the size of a high and the size of a low, it covers usually all of Australia, the Tasman and New Zealand to fit those like one low and one high in. So if you take a closer look at what comes our way, Tasmania and what happens at Bass Strait and that sort of southern part of Victoria is often what we get in New Zealand. And this week's a great example of it. They've got a blast of weather coming this week that'll lift up the temperatures first of all, then followed behind by some colder weather. Well, that's likely what we're going to see this week in the South Island, with a burst of windier, warmer weather at the start of the week, turning to a much wetter, colder change Thursday, Friday. So it's good to see it in Australia first and work out how bad it is and whether or not it's going to get worse before it gets to New Zealand or fall apart, which often they actually do fall apart. Um, But it's an interesting 
dynamic to see those uh, the, the the connection. Well, and also you pointed out in this media release as well, which is uh, almost even more interesting, is the, the um, how similar Tasmania and New Zealand are in terms of place names. Can, and you, you said that you're often referring to Queenstown in the West Coast, and obviously that's Tasmania and not New Zealand. And you've done this thing where you've got a comparison here of place names, for example, which is fascinating, like um, uh, Queenstown, Devonport, uh, Hastings, and oh, Mount Wellington, and um, also interestingly enough, and I don't know how this came about, Akaroa as well, which is crazy. Yeah, the Akaroa one's really interesting because um, I I saw that and and I was like, surely that is, huh? You know, yeah. Right, what right, is that? I thought yeah. that was a Maori word. Maybe it's not. I'm like, oh, is it something? Is it French or something? You know? Yeah. What on earth? So I Google it and I found out on Wikipedia. That, uh, it was uh, someone who lived in Akaroa, New Zealand, moved to the eastern side of Tasmania and created a new Akaroa. Now, I don't know if it's called Akaroa there. I'm almost certain it's not. It's Mate, not they'll Akaroa. call it Akaroa. Akaroa. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we bastardise half... Yeah, of course like, we do. Also, we've got yeah. Jervois Road. I mean, it should be... So we're pretty good at, at, at ruining a word. Um, yeah. but no, it's, it's, it is really fascinating to see that. And yeah, then there's the Queenstown West Coast in Glenorchy, which is like, that's just crazy. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was 11 place names that Tasmania shares with New Zealand. And it's, it's kind of strange. And so now it's like, yeah, I've got to be very clear in the video which one I'm talking about. Well, it's a good point. And, uh, I mean, you can see historically how it happened. I think that was a, it was a good uh, drop-off point, wasn't it? Uh, the old Van Diemen's land between the, the two countries. It was, it was like yeah. a buffer back in the days where there were no aeroplanes, Philip. There was no flying sim on your computer like you can do now. There was just big ships, you know. Yeah, that's right. And it's, I mean, Australia's geography is, I'm finding really, really interesting. And one of the things that we're going to do a video on soon, or I shouldn't say soon, but at some point, um, is, is talking about how people used to be able to walk from Tasmania to Victoria across the Bass Strait. And wow. that wasn't that long ago, within really? 5,000 years. It's, it's very shallow. It's, down, it's only about 30 or 40 metres deep in places. So that's it's, fascinating. Um, yeah, so I want to do something on that because actually, you know, the, the, it's a similar story between uh, the North Island and the South Island. It's, it's only a, about 100 metres deep between Nelson and Taranaki. You know, it's, it's wow. really shallow. So, like, if you drop the sea level down just a little bit, it's amazing how the world's map changes. And it makes you think, well, we know the sea's rising, so it's going to be fascinating to see what the world looks like in you know, 5,000 years from now. <laughs> Imagine what's under there, if you think of it wasn't that long ago, really, relatively speaking, that these parts that we're talking about were actually joined up, you know, so it was just one oh, land yeah, you mass. Google Earth, look at Google Earth and take a look at the underwater... Uh, the, the terrain. It is really interesting around Tasmania. They're just on this island, really just drops off into the Southern Ocean. And the Tasman Sea, one of the deepest parts of, of the world, it gets down to five, six kilometres deep. I mean, it's really mind-blowing. I, I'm, I'm just constantly fascinated with geography. It just never stops blowing my mind away. Yeah, there's, what's the one in... The, um I'm trying to think of where it is now. The Bahamas. What's that road? Um, the B- B- Bimini Road, or is that the one? Uh, have you seen oh, that? I don't the, know that one. Yeah, that that one's really interesting. Have you seen? So there's that um, 
TV show on uh, on Netflix, um, Ancient Apocalypse, with Graham Hancock. Have oh, you yeah. seen that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah, right. So they, well, he talks about the Bimini Road and that. That's what reminded me of it when you spoke about it. It's the one where he's basically you can almost you can basically see a road that would have taken you, I don't know, God knows where, but now it's completely underwater. And yeah, I think right. one of the conventional explanations that there's this you know paved road with clearly carved out you know big stones to make this road. Oh well, they were just sort of deposited there, and they all just happened to fall in a perfect like road formation. It's like yeah, so uh, that's what reminds me of that, you know, um, which is interesting. Being a weather forecaster, I just find it amazing how the, how fast our planet changes. And you know, I, when I was a kid, I used to think about my grandparents would talk about the major earthquake because they were in it. And I used to think, gosh, I'll never see anything like that in my lifetime. And then I was in the Edgecombe earthquake and the Christchurch earthquake. And then not long after that, we had the Kaikoura earthquake, which you know really dramatically lifted the level of the ground up. Mm. And if you fast forward that by a couple of thousand years, you suddenly realize just how dramatically quickly our country is and why we've got big mountains on it, whereas you go to other parts of the world like England and they all got squashed by the Ice Age. Yeah, you know, right. Our country yeah. is so young. That, that it all just popped out of the ground and everything's all fresh and new here. It's really shows you our planet is always changing and moving and it's it's really I just always find it mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, did you did you say you were were you in Christchurch when the earthquake happened? Were you? I was in the first one. I was um, several stories up and I'd flown down for twenty four hours and I was in that September fourth quake. Yeah, uh, in a hotel room with the curtains wide open in Cathedral Square, looking out over it and. Yeah, it was the first one, and then there was the was it one and was it February? Was it the was more it? deadly one in yeah. February? Yeah, yeah, Because so, I remember so, so, yeah, feeling no, I felt that in Dunedin. We were Jamie McKay and I were broadcasting, and uh, it was ten. I think it was ten to one. Uh, from if memory serves me correctly, it was a, Tuesday. Yeah, the, that's right. Yeah, and um, and we felt that, and um, and like you know, like it was a local one, you know, and we were like, oh, jeez, I mean, you know, something bad happened there. Here, these these earthquakes, these you know, um, cyclones that we've had in the past that flood places and change. It just shows how our country changes very quickly compared to other places. You know, Australia probably has looked the same. Other than that Tasmania bit between there and Victoria, Mm. the map of Australia has probably looked very similar for a very long time, whereas New Zealand is always changing. And so we live in a country that's pretty tough to live in. You know, we've got earthquakes and tsunami and we get storms and we get all sorts of stuff thrown at us all the time from Mother Nature versus other parts of the world where nothing really happens for long stretches of, of time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I remember you're right in the, in terms of how you can see how things would change that quickly as well. Because um, I went there the next day after that uh, the the second Christchurch earthquake. So I had to do reporting, you know, because it was all hands to the pump, so to speak. And um, I remember uh, just uh, the scene was like literally a war zone, you know. And, and notwithstanding mm-hmm. the fact that there were literally like army personnel and uh, you know vehicles on every corner, and there were cordons and all that sort of stuff. But the sheer scale of the rubble and the roads that were just completely lifted up and just destroyed, it was, yeah, some um, images that um, will never, never leave me. And, and shit, I was only visiting, you know, let alone actually being in the damn thing. That's right. And, you know, you know you're talking about um, two, these two big earthquakes that, that Christchurch had. And then, of course, there have been um, flood events recently in Canterbury. 
Um, and we've had, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, we've had Mount Lurupehu uh, erupting. Mm. I've got family who live in Toronto, a city of 5 million people, same size as New Zealand. They don't have natural disasters other than snowstorms and cold, you know, ice. And then they get um, some tornadoes. They right. get heat waves with tornadoes. But, like, even the tornadoes don't really hit Toronto. They're more further south in Ontario. Mm. So you end up with this massive city that just does not get the storms that we get here in New Zealand, and then they don't get the earthquakes. They might feel the odd one from America, but that's about it. Um, they don't have a tsunami risk in, in Toronto. Yeah. And they're actually in an area that doesn't get snowstorms as often as you might think. So, And then that's just one country, but one city, but there are many, many cities in America and Canada that are like that. And so, again, just highlights just how much extreme, um, you know, Mother Nature stuff is thrown our way on a regular basis in this country. It's remarkable, actually. Yeah, it really is. And uh, you're right, when you actually add that all up together, it's like, oh, gee, should we be here? Nah, just kidding, of course we should. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's kind of nutty. Like, why yeah. would you want to live in Rotorua when you've got the Earth's magma just sort of under there? And the <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yari, we now live. But, like, you know, nothing really major seems to happen there, and people have been living there for for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and we do live in a beautiful country. It's um, yeah, it's one of those funny things that we've got a good infrastructure too. I think you know, it breaks a lot, but because of the storms, but it, we're pretty resilient. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, clearly we have been up until this point, at least. Anyway, um, I got a good movie for you. I watched last night. It's uh, called Blackberry, and it is about none other than the Blackberry phone. Have you heard of or seen it? I have not. Uh, it's really good. I, I highly recommend it to you. You'd love it. It's a uh, such a fascinating story of BlackBerry and how this thing came into existence and how it literally took the world by storm. Uh, at one point, I think had forty five percent of uh, the cellular right. market or whatever. Right? Um, that was huge. Yeah, uh, every American politician had a BlackBerry. Absolutely, and they build it as such. And uh, it was, you know, it was one of those uh, th- must have things, you know, until until uh, the iPhone came along and that just changed. Killed it overnight, yeah, almost. Basically did. Yeah, there's a guy in there who plays well, one of the, fir- the first CEO or co-CEO. Uh, the CEO's name was Jim um, Balsillie or something like that. And uh, just looked up the guy who played him, a guy called Glenn Howerton. Seriously, one of the best performances I've seen in a movie in a very long time. Just nails the character. Uh, and, yeah, it's really good. So there you go. Blackberry, go check it out, Phil. That's my free advice for you for the week. Definitely. That's a good, that sounds yeah. great. Definitely that. It's my list. Add it Thank to you. the list, buddy. Hey, listen, I um, always appreciate talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time, as always. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Rex Technology and Innovation with NetSpeed. Fast, efficient, affordable broadband. Well, here at Rural Exchange, we recommend NetSpeed as your provider for connectivity. Internet and phone supported by NetSpeed's local New Zealand team. Just give the NetSpeed team a call. They will work with you to find the best solution. NetSpeed.net.nz Rural Exchange with NetSpeed. Outstanding in their field. Rex Technology and Innovation with NetSpeed. Experience the NetSpeed difference. All right, well, it is that time when we catch up with our good mate from NetSpeed, Stan Rivett. G'day, Stan. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing bloody well, actually. Excellent. Sun, sun shining. Look where we are, man. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's stunning. It's a beautiful day. You know, September's, uh, you know, always great weather. So, uh, you know, October tends to ship, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, that can, that can be the case. But, hey, what are you going to do? It's uh, Let's revel in it while we're here. Got a question for you. Um, 
I got a text message from the IRD and uh, tells me that my tax refund is unclaimed, you see, Stan. So if I could just click on this link you and you reckon I should go and put my details in, in, into oh, here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, go for it. You wouldn't fall for that, would you? A, a, a man, oh. you know, of such standing within the uh, IT world as yourself? I wish I could say that. You know, being an IT professional, I wouldn't fall for that stuff. But uh, I was in Tauranga uh, a few months ago and, uh, and signed up for the road toll thing and and because paid my road toll because I'm driving around on their on their super highways or whatever they are, and uh, and a few days later I was at my mate's place in Queenstown having a few beers, and I get a text message saying, "Hey, my road toll payment didn't go through," so I just think, ah, "Fix it, put my credit card details in, and then go." Ah! <laughs> What have I done? No, Stan, say it ain't so. You serious? So it's just a timing thing and possibly, you know, don't drink and click. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's the advice from Stan today, people don't drink and click. It's probably not a bad uh, bit of advice, to be fair, though, because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's one of, it. well, it is one of those things when you get into that point where you, you get we get a lot of information these days. We get a lot of messages, emails, text messages, you know, social media, whatever it might be. You get a lot, right? And you kind of want to deal with all of it. And yeah. so you can be a bit casual and flippant with it, can't you, I suppose? Let the guard yeah, down. And I think people in my industry think that they're bloody clever and, and, and aren't going to have any problems. But, you know, it's it's easy to get caught out. It really is. It really, really so is. You just have to be a bit critical about what you're going to click on. And and so, you know, I see the banks now are going to stop putting links in, in, in their emails and stuff. That's a really good thing. Which is a... Brilliant. Bad dog. What's, your, what, 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 what's his name? This is Trixie. Trixie. Her name? <laughs> Her name. But she's a bit of a guard dog, aren't she? We don't need a doorbell. Oh, a ferocious guard dog, Trixie. You're you're a pest, mate. You're a pest. Look how much you love her. Yeah, now get out, go give us some biscuits or something. Get Heather to give us some biscuits. Hey, um, so yeah, so we've got to be wary of uh, we've got to be wary of the scams, right? I mean, uh, you've got to be vigilant. Absolutely. Yes. So. Um, I know that you guys at the moment have got something happening with clubs now. When we talk about clubs, it's any sort of club, right? Yeah, rugby club, cricket club, surf club, whatever, you know, if you or, or a charity, if you're part of an, you know, want to give. So what, basically what happens is if you sign up for a new connection with NetSpeed, uh, we'll bring $100 to the charity or club of your choice. Um, and with the club thing, we've actually got a few customers now who are, you know, clubs that are getting together and saying, well, hey, you know, if we connect, you know, a few of our members with NetSpeed, can you do us a deal? And so we've we've built a bit of a bit of a um, system for that. So if uh, if you know a club, if they all nominate this club, we can actually start just um, giving a bit of a bit of money to the club each month, you know, based on how many members they've got um, and connected with us. So you know, uh, and give the club a free. Con- you know, discounted or free internet connection depending on how many customers join. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's proven to be a bit popular. I so, bet it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. because these things now are at the stage where you know the old rugby club or netball club or whatever it might be. I mean, a lot of them are under a bit of threat. So anything that can help is uh, has got to be good news, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, we're we're happy to help. Um, yeah, we draw the line at political parties, but uh, you know that's probably a bloody we... wise move, Stan. If we're being honest. Oh, you don't want to get caught up in that bloody shenanigans, do you? You know, <laughs> not at the moment. I'm just, I'm not watching the news. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can steer clear. Exactly. When I have to interview mm. politicians now, I'm like, oh God, now I've got to read about them. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all good fun.
Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. Uh, not as fun as your T-shirt, buddy. The world is flat, is it, apparently? Is that what we're saying now? It is. Horizontally opposed engines are great. Yeah. Right. There you go. <laughs> hey, um, actually, I've got a question for you. Um, well, uh, get your comment on it. How good was it to see young Liam Lawson? I know you're a big motorsport fan. Oh, fantastic. Points in the Formula One. I mean, uh, you know, how good's that? Yeah, he's he's having a dream run and, uh, you know, is doing really well. Good, yeah, very good driver and, uh, um, you know, he's having, but he, and he's not being unlucky, which, you know, poor old Brendan Hartley, uh, you know, also a great driver. Um, his little stint in Formula One, yeah, he was a bit unlucky. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully Liam, and it's, uh, just here this morning, he's got to drive for, for the next week, next weekend for food at um, Suzuka, Suzuka yeah. which is a track that he would know pretty well. Um, so yeah, it'd be really interesting to watch. No, it's brilliant cool. stuff. The Kiwis are just smashing it on the uh, the motorsport scene at the moment. Stan, um, where do we find more info about what you got going on at NetSpeed there? www.netspeed.net.nz uh, or give us a call on 0800 638 773. Nice to talk to you, Trixie. Okay. Shut up. Rex Rural Focus, brought to you by Carter's Tyres, specialists in ag tyres, supporting NZ farmers for 35 years. Alright, got one out of uh, Dunedin for you today, where we're broadcasting from, and it is from uh, Tection, I think that's how you say it. Uh, data analysis by Tection shows the cost of undetected drench resistance has actually exploded to an estimated $98 million per annum. Now, a key contributor, they say, to the dramatic failure is that commonly used triple drenches are not effective on 27% of New Zealand sheep farms, and this level of drench failure mirrors other other industry reports and again highlights the increasing productivity and sustainability threat to the sheep farming sector. So the data comes from Tection's Drench Smart Service which is a faecal egg count reduction test that independently reports to farmers which drench actives are working effectively on their farms and which ones aren't. And Wormwise Program Manager Ginny Dudunsky who we had on the program recently a couple of weeks ago, uh, she's quoted in this release saying farms using untested partially effective of drenches will not see visual signs until things are quite serious and in the intervening years farms can be quickly breeding high numbers of drench resistant worms now you should go and check out that interview with Ginny Dudunsky because that uh, she basically explains all of that in that chat rexonline.co.nz is where you will find it I can also tell you this week as well that we're in organic wine week this week 18th to the 24th of September and that is uh, centred around the spring equinox. It takes place uh, this week, a celebration of all things organic. It was created to raise awareness for organic wine and bring it front and centre uh, in the world of wine. And they've got an event uh, that they reckon is the uh, the top dog pretty much this Thursday. Down to Earth, it is called. Cool. Just uh, go online and check that out. That's our show for today. Wonderful as always to have your company. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Rural Exchange with NetSpeed. Internet till the cows come home.